Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Moana. I'm your host, Ross Cochran. Thank you for listening. At a time like this for our nation, where so many of us are committing to no longer turning a blind eye to the hatred or a deaf ear to the cries of injustice, at Awana, we exist to help you, the parent, the church leader, the loving, caring adult, talk to the kids in your life about the gospel and how to bring the radical love best exemplified by Jesus into today's world. We want to join you in raising a generation of children who do not accept the roles that racism casts us within. Instead, we want to look to the timeless truth found in God's word. Now is the time to have a courageous conversation with the children in your life about the violence that is racism and the need for justice. Today's episode is part of that effort. Samuel Porsche is the director of the Children's Discipleship Network for the South Side of Chicago. Matt Markins is the president and chief strategy officer at Awana. Both of these men joined me for a conversation about this moment and how we arrived here. But the conversation focuses on how we all can move forward towards racial reconciliation and the fearless future of the church. A quick note, this is part one of what will be a two-part conversation. Samuel kicks this episode off, describing his role within Awana and the broader context of his ministry. This is episode 39 of the Resilient Disciples podcast. My role here at Awana is the director of the Child Children's Discipleship Network and on the south side of Chicago. And what that means is that um, discipleship is at the forefront of a relationship with Christ, um, that we are our identity is in Christ, and that um, one of our roles is to be fruitful and multiply, and that is to make disciples. So um, I am excited about this opportunity um, to be a part of this um, awesome organization um, and be able to reach people and be able to talk about the gospel, be able to plant seeds in the hearts of the children, and um, be able to walk alongside and journey with those churches and partner with them so that we can make disciples for 2050 and for the next generation. Um, Awana has a, a great legacy and history. And this is just another chapter of us just expanding God's kingdom as he sees fit to use our organization and myself to reach children, um, children of the next generation. Um, and we have to do more to engage children in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as well as we know, love and serve the Lord, we have to be that example for children to know, love and serve Jesus Christ. So I'm excited about this opportunity. I'm excited about partnering with pastors and speaking um, with leaders and church and going to churches and being able to roll up my sleeves. And we do some training and get excited about, you know, building up this next generation to be resilient against all the attacks that may come at them, that will come at them so that they will stand strong in their faith as they produce disciples for 2080 and 2090. Matt, I, I want to bring you into this conversation as well, because I, I really value your, um, the perspective that you have on sort of the broader church and particularly the, the children's ministry community. From your perspective, Matt, how did we get here? How did we arrive at a moment where this kind of pain is so prevalent, particularly in the context of children's community? Like how would you diagnose this moment that we're in? As a Christ follower, um, everything 
for us goes back to the gospel, that there was a time in creation, after creation, when we lived in perfection, humankind lived in perfection, Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God. We have to remember that, that God created us to be in fellowship with him and to walk in that kind of purity uh, and in close intimacy with him. But it's because of our fallenness and the fallen nature of humankind that there is so much sin and brokenness and devastation. So what we're seeing here in the United States is, is the reality of the second act of the gospel, which is the, the fallen nature of humankind being lived out. And it's painful, and it's nasty, and it's horrible. What we all witnessed last week, thanks to the power of video and social media, what we all witnessed mm. uh, is atrocious. It's, it's horrible. It's sinful. Um, and for many white Americans, that was probably a defining moment. I think that's what we're seeing. So we know that God created us in his perfection. We know that we have fallen. We are sinful. We do need a redeemer. And that, that third act of the gospel is it is only Jesus who can save us. It is only through Christ alone that we will be and are reconciled to God. And that fourth act of the gospel is because of that, because of Jesus, he is going to, and he is currently and actively restoring us and restoring uh, little pieces of his kingdom. So when a good act, when a, when a good act happens in our world, that's a little piece of Christ's restoration coming to this earth. And I think what we're seeing in this moment is we're seeing the lack of reconciliation happening. We're seeing the fact that although we are saved, there, there, has, there has been an issue among us as brothers and sisters that is not being addressed. It's, I, I would even say it's been ignored. Mm. And so uh, I think we're living out, we're bearing the fruit of not addressing as the church in our country. What entity is more responsible for this than the church? We're seeing uh, the lack of reconciliation, the lack of bringing God's restoration into our communities. Yeah. We are focused on the church of 2050 and raising up the leaders. Sam, you mentioned the church of 2080, 2090 and beyond. Um, the fact that we are able to make a difference in what the future looks like is a tremendous calling. Sam, I'll ask you a similar question. How would you define the moment that we're in? I think how I would define this moment in time where we are as a culture is um, we're at a time of a revelatory moment um, that can no longer be denied. Um, no, because the thing is, is that things are being revealed to a portion of America that maybe they weren't aware of or they turned a blind eye to. Um, so it's a lot being revealed. It's a revelatory moment um, to a large portion of America that we, um, Black America, have always known to be our daily experience. Um, and the denial of a life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness um, is something that has been denied. And I don't think it was always revealed or revelatory to um, a portion of America. And I think right now, and it's undeniable, Max said it best, thank God for video. Um, and it was so profound. It's a simple statement, but it is so profound. And I know we've seen videos in the past 
that have really convicted us, but this just happened to be different. So it captured this moment in time where the conviction is so heavy that we're seeing um, something unprecedented right now in our country. And um, I think a lot of people might say the past is the past, but, um, and, and you know, a lot of people may have the mindset of not to dwell on the past, but this has revealed that the past sins are still presently happening. Mm. And um, it, it's very revelatory. It's, I just can't get away from that word that um, the revelation of what's going on and where we are is undeniable. You know, the systematic racism, the dehumanization, marginalization, the oppression, there's so many words we can add to it. And, and I would define this moment specifically speaking to the church as a challenge, challenging time for the church, but also an exciting time for the church because we have a chance and an opportunity to speak into the times and act and do something and stretch ourselves. And I know when we think of the word church, sometimes um, the first thing we think of is the building, but um, we are the church. We are the church. And we, we have to remember that we, we have the power of the church within us. We are the church. And in the Bible, the church is always a reference to people, not a place. And I think this is a, a reminder of the church to be activated, to be the people who God called us to be, um, and not the building. Um, and the church, is, it's a body of believers that live out the gospel in their words and actions. And it's a challenge for us to stretch ourselves. It's a challenge. It's a challenge for us to stretch ourselves to not be rooted in culture, rooted in history, rooted in tradition. Just because we were raised a certain way, how we were raised, once we see that it disagrees with what God says, then how we were raised was wrong. And that has Amen. to be the, the measuring stick and standard of who we are and that's the challenge of identifying ourselves in Christ. Um, so I think this is a, a very moment in time that we're in where for many organizations and companies, the hiring process must change. Where the fear, um, where there's no longer a fearfulness of, of hiring someone that does not look like you or does not speak like you, um, but is capable of doing the job required. Um, we're at a moment in time where we need to lean into the differences and the differences is how we expand God's true kingdom. And we walk together and we partner with each other and we learn your story and my story and we expand God's kingdom in a healthy way. It is, it is no longer a time to be comfortable. I remember hearing someone say, um, the time we are in is demanding us to get comfortable in being uncomfortable. And we just can't shy away from what's happening any longer. It's hard, but it's necessary. And um, it gives the church an opportunity to impact and influence the next generation to be resilient disciples and expand God's kingdom. Um, and we have to lean into this kingdom perspective that urges us to open our eyes and stop being blind and, 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 and see with clarity and truth um, in our hearts and open our hearts and our minds and just have a, a perspective that redeems and not divides. One of the things that really struck me about this experience is that if nothing else, just anecdotally, what I've seen is that it has spurred more conversations with kids than previous moments of um, dramatic racial injustice or murder or crime that was caught on camera. And at Awana, we help adults talk to kids. 
I know that I had a conversation with my daughter about systemic racism. Um, and it was the first time I felt that I had to meet the moment with this conversation. Samuel, this specific incident, the murder of George Floyd, how did you talk to your kids about it? Um, yeah, great question, um, Ross. Um, it was hard. Um, it was hard. As a, as a parent, you, you try to get yourself grounded before you speak into things with your children or you're at least supposed to so you don't speak too emotionally um, and send the wrong message to your children or to children, period. Um, it's a part of a responsibility as a leader in your home or whatever ministry you're on, you're in, um, particularly children and kid, kids ministries. But what I would say is um, it was a very hard conversation and I had to uh, take a moment to get myself together before we started talking about it. But God reminded me, my children's heart relationship with God is also a part of my responsibility as a parent. Um, so I'm responsible with helping them navigate their feelings and their emotions. And I'm responsible for them as best as I can to make them make morally mature and good decisions when no one is looking. Um, and, and that's the main point. So, I, so as we started to talk about the, the incident that happened with George Floyd, there were a lot of emotions. Um, my son is a little bit more laid back and so you have to kind of pull it out of him. And my daughter is, she wears her feelings on her sleeve and she's um, gifted for justice. Um, some people just have a burning desire to see justice and that's my daughter's gift. Um, hopefully she'll be a lawyer one day, but we'll see. But um, she has a strong desire for that. So she was like, dad, this is just wrong. This is, you know, all cops. And immediately when she said all cops, God keeps showing me these opportunities and these pathways to navigate through these small, subtle um, darts the enemy will allow to, to enter our children's hearts. And I said, wait a minute, Jada, not all. And I had to grab her emotions and channel them and help her filter it through Christ. And she said, well, dad, it just keeps happening. I said, but that's not still all cops. And so we talked about it and we unpacked that um, conversation. And as a parent, sometimes I think we, we are tired. We work all day. We get emotional over situations that happen. Um, we watch the news, things impact us, and we have feelings and emotions. But one thing as parents, we cannot wave the white flag. So we have to be resilient. We have to be able to deal with our emotions and more importantly, sit there and walk through that navigational emotion with our children. So I, I don't avoid disagreements with my children. I, I, I allow them to express themselves about any particular subject, including George Floyd. I, did not, I didn't say to my daughter, don't think like that immediately. I let her channel through those emotions uh, because I wanna know how she really feels, how my son really feels about something. Not as an expert, not, and I don't want them to express to me what they think I wanna hear and pacify me as a parent. So I allow them that freedom and it allows me to embrace this pathway to a true relationship. And what that fosters is trust. It opens up and allows me to still have their heart in the palm of my hand and influence and impact them from a heart relationship. And, and, and also the second thing I do is um, I, I explain to them about filtering. Um, the definition of filter is to remove unwanted parts from something. And I, and I try to explain to them, do you want to carry anger? And they'll say no. 
Do you want to carry depression or anxiety or hate? And they'll say no to me. And I'll tell them, well, if you try to do it, you can't. You will not be able to filter that out. But how do you filter? How are you feeling about this situation? You have to filter it through God. You have to filter it through Jesus Christ. And so we always talk about Proverbs 3 and 5 and 6 my favorite scripture in the Bible, because it's so easy to lean on your own understanding and not trust God. And so they know that scripture. Um, I, I talk about it all the time. And we talk about everything in my home. And what, and what I'm doing is being a part of shaping their worldview. Um, so I let them know, you have to filter it through Christ. Mm. I use examples. I use opportunities. When they stay angry longer than they should have, I'll, I'll say to them, why are you still angry? Um, this, we discussed George Floyd in detail. We discussed Breonna Taylor. We discussed Ahmaud Arbery. And I could go on and on. And I explained to them, yes. And we talk about the differences. And we talk about what happened. And we talk about the injustice. But we also talk about hope. And we also talk about filtering those feelings through Jesus Christ so that they don't start to harden their heart. Um, I don't want them to grow up believing all police are bad. I don't want them to racially profile um, white people or any other nationality just because of what we go through um, because then we are no better than anyone else. We ha they have to, at the end of the day, and sometimes we don't even get the uh, conviction that it's supposed to happen out of a lot of this. And I really hope that um, this particular case and even the others that I mentioned, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, that justice will be done. But we have seen in our community that sometimes that does not happen. So where do you go from there? What do you do with those emotions? Do they just continue to keep getting bottled up until they explode again? And for me, I have to walk my kids through that. So I, I have to build that trust with them and we have to land our plane on finding solace in God's final judgment of all. That God um, says vengeance is his. And so those are the, that's the kind of uh, approach I use in my home to talk to my children, um, letting, allowing them to be free to speak and share their emotions so that I can really see who they are in that moment. And it always changes from 12 to 14 to 16, but it opens up the pathway to a true authentic relationship where I can influence and impact their heart. And then I want them to know that you filter everything through God because we don't have the capability to um, get rid of unwanted feelings without the, without the help of Christ. Amen, man there's so much about that. There's so much there that people, I think <laughs> you just laid down just amazing parenting advice, completely independent of the conversation we're having mm. about leaning in about, um, you know, you had mentioned earlier being comfortable with being uncomfortable. I think so many people in any subject feel like they want to protect their kids, yeah. um, from hard conversations and then they wind up not having real authentic conversations. It's so beautiful and to see the authentic relationship you have with, with your children and how when it really counts in conversations like these, um, it creates such fertile ground for God to work. So um, I want to shift the conversation a bit because in thinking about you sharing and walking your kids through this experience, I'm reminded of the fact that you are having to help your kids walk through something that you have also walked through your entire life. It's got to be a surreal experience as a dad to navigate your kids through that trauma when you yourself 
have lived out your own fair share of traumatic experiences? Oh, yes, of course. Um, I grew up in Passaic, New Jersey, um, in an urban community. Um, And at an early age, we didn't have the greatest relationship with law enforcement. Um, It was really hard. Our parents told us to be careful. But those are just words until you have an experience. And um, I was 12 years old. um, And my childhood best friend Daniel and I went to a church to try out for a talent show. And um, we performed um, and we made it and we were just so excited. And so we're walking home and I'm just so excited to tell my mom, my siblings, and I get in front of my house and he lived maybe five to seven houses down this block from me. And we were just standing there talking and a police car pulled up and they put the big spotlight on us. So immediately we just froze. We had no idea what was going on. We've heard stories. We've had talks from our parents, but now this was a live experience. And so we're just standing there and they're like, come here. And the first thing I said was, can I go get my mother? Um, I'm 12 years old. I, I, I need my parents. I, I can't make this decision on my own. I don't know what that even looks like. And the officer said to me, no, you cannot. And then they came over and they grabbed both of us and walked us over to the car. The car was in the street. Um, in the back of the car was an old, older white woman. Um, she was very old, um, as I remember. And he pulled Daniel. We still didn't know what happened. No explanation. And they showed, they pushed my friend Daniel to the car window so she could see him. And he said, was he the one? She said, no, no, that's not him. And it was a emphatic no. She was very, you know, strong about it. Uh, but my friend Daniel um, is half white, half black, and he's much lighter skinned than I am. So then they pulled me up and said, is he the one? And it might have took her five to seven seconds. For me, it was an eternity. And she said, no, I don't no, I don't think that's him. And so now I'm, what's going, I am gripped completely in fear. I, I don't know what's going to happen if this woman says yes. And so the officer said again, are you, are you sure? Is this the one? And she said, oh, no, that's not him. A little bit more certain. Um, he asked her four to five times where she finally said, no, that is not him. And she got agitated with the officer. And by now, you know, as I was talking earlier, you know, I had time to even think about it more. I had tears just streaming down my face. My friend is standing there crying. Eyes are wide open. We're just like, what is happening right now? They let us go. I go upstairs. My mom is like, what is wrong with you? What happened? And I told her the story. Um, at that time, I wasn't thinking about looking for a badge number or anything. But that was a defining moment in my life at 12 years old. It was very traumatic when things happen even today with law enforcement, particularly the George Floyd, it takes me right back to that traumatic experience. Um, and I'm thinking about, you know, wow, what if she would have said yes? Even today, I still think about what if she would have said yes? The trajectory of my life could be totally, totally different. And so, um, it, it also makes me wonder how many innocent people are in jail and uh, just a lot of thoughts run through my mind. But the beauty of God out of all of this, and I didn't talk about this in this morning, and the one thing that God allowed me to hang on to was, and not allow my heart to be hardened, was even though the law enforcement were not handling that situation correctly, 
and they happened to be white policemen. And even though it was a white woman in the backseat, an old lady, and she determined my fate at that moment, she listened to her conviction in her heart and stood on truth and justice. And she knew it wasn't me. And she spoke that truth. She could have easily, in her pain, in her brokenness, I, I assume someone stole her purse or something, um, for them to be looking for young kids or something. And for her, I remember that piece, and that's the piece that helped me stay free. It didn't help me experience more pain later on with different incidents. I have a number of stories I could tell, but this one in particular was so dynamic. It was my first traumatic experience, but also in God's sovereignness, I had a moment to see another picture when that woman spoke truth over the situation. And I held on to that. And I held on. But that's not everybody's experience. Everybody just right. doesn't have that same um, experience where truth is told in the moment. Um, but for me, that helped. That helped me a lot get over it. And I'm still not over it. It's just the trauma never goes away, especially when, it's re when you're reminded of it um, throughout your lifetime. But um, I, would, I would advise anyone under the sound of my voice that has ever gone through anything to try to find anything to hang their hope on like I did with that woman's truth, because the hardening of the heart, can, you can never be used the way God wants to use you. Your experiences in life, your pain, your brokenness will be generationally passed down to your children if you don't find a way to heal, if you don't find a way to find hope, even though you, you can't always say, why me? You just have to trust that God is going to make the turn the good out of everything. And he's mm. gonna and he's gonna allow you to learn from it, not lose from it. That was beautiful. Well, I feel like a lot of what we're talking about is living into the fullness of ourselves as image bearers of God, um, as a community, as a church, and even in Awana as an organization. But one of the things that you said that really stands out to me is talking about the generational level impact of experiences like that. Millions of Americans have dozens and dozens of stories like that in the context of their community and their family or even for themselves personally. And then there is another section of Americans, millions and millions of Americans, who have absolutely no context to what it is like to live that experience. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we talk a lot about this conversation around loving, caring adults and how we as adults have this opportunity to be disciple makers for kids. And this is an opportunity for discipleship because it's an opportunity to lean in to the fullness of what God called his church to be. So as someone who is doing this with his own kids, but someone who has a role in a job that is helping other adults and is helping other leaders lead their kids well, mm -hmm. how do we remind people of hanging on to that hope because I think that people are going to look on their phones or look on to the, some of the conversations, the, the more emotional driven conversations that are happening and want that to be the truth. How do we define this by what you were saying and God's ultimate attention for this conversation that that reconciliation is even possible, that a brighter future even is possible to exist. Mm -hmm. um, for me, um, 
God is undefeated. Um, his sovereignty is undefeated. He, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, we are victorious, not victims. And I think we forget that sometimes. And I think we, when God said, kill your flesh, you have to filter your emotions. You have to filter your pain. You have to filter your brokenness. Everything comes through the cross. Amen. And as hard as this situation with George Floyd is, as hard as these conversations are that I have with my children and my personal experience, and I have a number of them, I filter everything through the cross. Now, in my humanness, it hurts. It's, but, but I have to filter it through the cross or I will harden my heart. And once I harden my heart, I am no longer effective as a leader to teach children how to be Christ-like disciples. I'm no longer an asset to the kingdom anymore. I, I, I am not giving them what they need. And for those, and so, so I can't, my experience cannot be my identity. If my experience has become my identity, then my identity is pain, it's brokenness, it's hurt. It's um, the dehumanization that has taken place, the marginalization, the oppression, all of those things start to become who I am and what is inside you is what comes out when you get squeezed. And mm. so I, I, you, you just cannot allow that to be as a Christ believer and as a Christ disciple. So I think we struggle with that. And it's something that I thank God, he constantly keeps that on my heart as a reminder, as I filter everything through the cross, and I teach my kids that. Otherwise, their experiences will hurt them as well. Um, they won't see things clearly with clarity. They will see things based off of their pain, blurred, um, the hurts. Those are the things that, and, and I think humanity on a whole, we, we identify with that more than we identify with Christ sometimes in the church. And that's something we gotta be careful of, very, very careful of. Um, and, and particularly us as leaders, and for, um, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm an African-American male, so I don't know what the white male experience is like, the white female experience, but I do know um, that the same sediment holds true for you. Filter it through the cross. Filter it through the cross. No, this is not right. This systematic way of doing things, systems become strongholds. And those are really painful to break, but it's the same concept. It's not that hard. And I think we think we have to have all these different conversations and all these different things. No, we just have to filter it through the cross and act and show sure. love and stand up for injustice and lock arms with those who don't look like you and don't sound like you and don't identify with our educational level or identify with how much um, the, the type of neighborhood we live in, but identify with Christ, that we are all humans and that um, everything must be filtered through the cross so that we can expand God's kingdom. And if, and if we are working with children, we have to do it that way. Otherwise, yeah. we will make disciples based out of our own experience, and then they will make disciples out of their experience. And that's identifying not with Christ, but identifying with our personal experiences. And we have, all of us on this line have different experiences. Um, but yeah. what will unify us is when we identify with Christ and filter Amen. everything through the cross. The Resilient Disciples Podcast is powered by Awana. Awana is a global nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. Awana is fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, 
and organizations, as well as resource sales. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and go to resilientdisciples.com for more resources and many more of these conversations. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Thanks to Kevin Orris and Phil Wallace for making the podcast happen. And thank you for listening. I'll talk to you on Thursday.